If your name is Ryan and you play for the Baltimore Orioles, you probably had a pretty good night on Tuesday. Ryan Mountcastle, Ryan O'Hearn, and Ryan McKenna all combined to lead the Orioles to a 7-3 win over the Angels. I'll recap that one, plus talk about why D.L. Hall left his AAA start after three innings, why Dylan Tate and Michael Gibbons aren't here yet, and why Cole Irvin is coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, May 17th, 2023, and welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to recap the Orioles' 7-3 victory over the Angels. Talk about the homers from Ryan O'Hearn and Ryan Mountcastle. Another good start from Dean Kramer. And the bullpen once again locking it down. Then we'll talk about the roster move that the Orioles made on Tuesday as they brought Cole Irvin back up to the big leagues for the first time since he struggled in his first three Orioles starts. We'll discuss what his role will be moving forward. And then we'll talk a bit about some other pitchers because Michael Givens and Dylan Tate probably should have been here by now, and they're not. We'll talk about why and also why D.L. Hall kind of mysteriously left after three innings in his AAA start on Tuesday night. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, just want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel as well. I want to do a specific shout out for our everydayers. Those are the true fans out there, the everydayers. You're here with us Monday through Friday. Can't thank you enough for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. The Orioles, as we know, first 162 games with Adley Rutschman, 93 and 69. They can't win without Adley Rutschman. I can't do this without the everydayers. So I thank you all for that. But let's jump into an Orioles win. 07 Angels 3, the final score from Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Tuesday night as the O's and the Angels have now split the first two of a four-game set here in Baltimore and the Orioles get to 27 and 15 with the victory over the Halos. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles 7 to 3 victory. And the first thing you need to know is Dean Kramer keeps up his hot streak on the mound. Kramer, as soon as the calendar flipped to May, has looked like a different pitcher. He had one good start in April. That was in D.C. against a terrible Nats lineup when he went six and two-thirds scoreless. Other than that, Kramer was getting hit around. But he has changed things around in May. And on Tuesday night, Kramer continued that. He goes five and two-thirds innings, allowing three runs on six hits with four Ks, no walks, and one home run allowed. He threw 95 pitches to lower his ERA to 4.94 on the season. Now, Kramer did give up some hard contact, and he's still been giving up hard contact throughout the year. He allowed 10 hard-hit balls, but it was once again a good start. And to be quite honest with you, Kramer probably should have been out of this game with six full innings and only two runs allowed because with two outs and nobody on base in the top of the sixth, there was a ground ball that somehow snuck through Gunnar Henderson and Jorge Mateo on the left side. Kramer left the game and then Brian Baker just couldn't stop giving up hits for a little while there that allowed that third run to score. 
Kramer deserved a little better than even his line shows, and his line still showed that he was a good starting pitcher on Tuesday night. And in these three starts in May, Kramer's gone 17 and two-thirds innings, and yes, he has allowed 16 hits in that span, but only three runs, 11 strikeouts to only four walks, and just one home run ball. The home run ball was killing him early in the season. He's not quite back to late 2022 Dean Kramer because he's still not missing a whole lot of bats and dominating with big strikeout numbers and getting a lot of soft contact. He still hasn't gotten to that point yet. Like, he only had eight whiffs on 52 swings on Tuesday night. That's a little concerning, and six of them came on the four-seamer, but he's throwing a lot of strikes, and he's getting guys out, and he's mixing his pitches, and that's what matters at this point. Is he really fastball cutter heavy? Yes, he is, because I still don't think he has full trust in the off-speeds right now, but he's doing enough to help the Orioles win some games. Second thing you need to know from this one is that it was the Ryan show for the Orioles on Tuesday night. Ryan McKenna, Ryan Mountcastle, and Ryan O'Hearn all played a role in this Orioles victory. Let's start with Ryan O'Hearn, who gets the start as the Orioles DH on Tuesday night, hitting in the nine hole. Actually, Anthony Santander got his second straight start at first base. Now, Santander didn't have a good night. He went 0 for 4 with three Ks, but he made a couple of nice plays defensively at first base. And the Orioles wanted to give Ryan Mountcastle a night off because he has been struggling a little bit lately. But Brandon Hyde said before the game, don't be surprised to see Mountcastle in there. Now, first, let's start with O'Hearn, who only had one at-bat in this game, and he was DHing. So this is literally all he did, but he did all he could have done. In the bottom of the second inning, hits a solo home run onto the flag court off of Angel starter Chase Silseth to tie the game at one. It was O'Hearn's first home run in an Orioles uniform. He hit 100 miles per hour off the bat, 376 feet to right field on a 3-2 hanging slider right in the middle of the plate and just jacked it out of here for a home run. It was the first homer that Silseth had allowed this year and the first homer that O'Hearn had hit this year. But you think, okay, the guy homers, he deserves to stay in the lineup. Well, Silseth wasn't really fully built up this season. So he left after three and a third and in came left-hander Tucker Davidson, to replace him for the Angels. And Davidson was kind of supposed to pitch in bulk as well. He is a starting pitcher generally. So when O'Hearn's spot came up next, Brandon Hyde went to the bench and went to Ryan Mountcastle as the right-handed hitter and the DH. And what did Mountcastle do? He gets himself a little bloop double. And then he comes up a couple innings later in the sixth inning and really delivers the knockout punch for the Orioles. Mountcastle with a huge swing in the sixth, a two-run homer that he hit 109 off the bat. It was a rocket out of here to dead center that traveled 433 feet. Mountcastle's ninth home run of the season, and uh, he did a little Frank the Tank dance in the dugout, which was fun to see. Uh, to be determined if he also went streaking on the quad after the game as well. But Mountcastle, it was nice to see him just get into a ball. He hasn't been swinging it super well. And the home runs, although he's got nine, which is really a solid number to have on May 16th, they've all come in bunches. Like, he got six home runs in the first two weeks of the season, if you remember. He hit a home run on April 13th that gave him six homers on the year. He did not homer again until May 2nd against the Royals when he had a two-homer game to get himself to eight. And then he hadn't homered again for the last two weeks since May 2nd until the Rocket two-run shot on Tuesday night. So it's been an odd season for Ryan Mountcastle. Trust me, it was an odd one last year as well. But good to see him put a swing on that ball. And 
Mountcastle finishing his night coming off the bench and going two for two for the O's with that double and the home run looking good off a lefty and a righty. And then you flip it over to Ryan McKenna, who also came off the bench and delivered for the Orioles. He came off the bench in the sixth inning to pinch hit for Taron Vavra, laced a double up the middle that actually hit off the shin of Tucker Davidson. Davidson, the Angels pitcher, had to leave the game after McKenna hit him with that line drive in the ankle, but McKenna hit it 106 off the bat up the middle, ricocheted off him for a double that kind of kick-started the Orioles' three-run rally in the sixth. Then McKenna went out and finished the game defensively in right field. He was retired his next at-bat, but he had two hard-hit balls. McKenna now hitting 317 with an 844 OPS in limited time this year. He's becoming a really valuable player off the bench for the O's, and it was the Ryan show for the O's on Tuesday night. But speaking of Ryan McKenna, who replaced Taryn Vavra, it was a big night for Taryn Vavra as well, who finally, on May 16th, and yes, he has had a stint down in AAA in the middle there, but finally on May 16th, Taryn Vavra picked up his first major league RBI of the season. Vavra's hit came in the fourth inning in the Orioles' three-run rally in the fourth. It was an RBI single in that inning. Vavra went one for two with that RBI single, two hard-hit balls, and a run scored in the game. Hit it 105 off the bat and just laced it into right field to give the Orioles a 2-1 to lead after a Gunnar Henderson leadoff double in the inning. And listen, it hasn't been great for Vavra at the plate this year. I mean, he's now hitting 233, just a 576 OPS, really no power in the bat at all. But you got to at least get some RBIs, and luckily, he finally got one. Speaking of guys slipping out of slumps here on Tuesday night, the fourth thing you need to know is that Jorge Mateo started to maybe break out of his slump a little bit in Tuesday night's game. Mateo got the start at shortstop again, hitting eighth, and he only got one hit, but it was an RBI single in the fourth inning that made it a 3-1 to Orioles lead as he grounded the ball into right field, scoring Terran Vavra. He also had a big sacrifice fly later in the game in the sixth inning. It was a hard-hit ball to dead center that made it a 5-3 game. Mateo finished up 1-for-3 with two RBIs and a run scored. He did strike out in his other two at-bats, which is still becoming the problem in a month of May where Mateo, generally across the board, has not been good. Again, the hit did snap him out of an 0-for-19, but... After a just crazy month of April where Mateo looked like one of the best players in baseball, he has cooled off severely, and I mean severely, in May. It's not like he kind of went back down to, oh, the regular Jorge Mateo level that we usually see, like a 220 hitter with good speed and good defense. No, he was hitting right around like 100 in May. And even with the hit on Tuesday night, he's hitting 119 in the month, hopefully, this game can turn him around. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that the Orioles' bullpen was pretty good. Brian Baker struggled a little bit, but, you know, Yinier Cano had a nice 1-2-3 inning in the ninth to lock it down because, of course, he did, and he still hasn't given up a run. But the star of the night out of the pen was CNL Perez. Perez entered the game in the top of the seventh with the Orioles leading 7-3 and proceeded to retire all six batters he faced on only 19 pitches. Perez had two strikeouts in the game. Now, he did allow two hard-hit balls, and those balls were hit pretty hard, 
But the two strikeouts is really what I want to focus on for Perez. Took him just 19 pitches. He was efficient. He got through six batters, and he kind of bridged the gap to Cano at the end of the game. And the thing we've talked about this year for Perez is his stuff looks kind of similar, but he's not getting swings and misses. Well, he got three swings and misses in this outing. Two on the fastball, which were both of his strikeouts. One on the slider as well. That is huge for him. And as the Orioles get closer and closer to having to make some bullpen decisions here, Perez starting to look better and better over the last couple of weeks is big for the O's. It's big for him. It was his longest outing of the year. Just the third time he's had multiple strikeouts in an outing. Really, really good sign for CNL Perez. Really, really good sign for the O's as they win it over the Angels 7-3. to But... Speaking of left-handers in the Orioles' bullpen, on Tuesday before the game, the O's added another lefty to the pen. And it was actually Cole Irvin who was finally recalled to join the Orioles. Been pitching much, much better in AAA. So coming up next, we'll talk about what role he'll be in, why he's here, and how long, at least in this stint, he'll be with the Orioles. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by So Rare. So Rare is a revolutionary fantasy baseball game and marketplace, transforming fans into owners with officially licensed digital cards featuring players from across all 30 MLB teams. And unlike other fantasy baseball platforms, So Rare managers truly own their fantasy experience. You buy and sell and compete with player cards, and win or lose, you still own the cards, and there's no cost to play. And SoRare even has these MLB game weeks that happen weekly, where if you rank near the top, you get the most points. You can get awesome prizes like scarcity cards, game tickets, merchandise, signed jerseys, and even VIP experiences like meeting MLB stars. So head to SoRare.com slash locked on. That's spelled S-O-R-A-R-E.com to draft your team of free player cards, set your lineup, and start competing today to win epic prizes. Again, that's SoRare.com slash locked on to start playing today. So the Orioles beat the Angels 7-3 on Tuesday night to even up the series at one game apiece, but they also got a familiar face back into the clubhouse on Tuesday with a roster move before the game. I talked about on Tuesday's episode how after Logan Gillespie had come up on Monday, he had thrown almost 40 pitches after Grayson Rodriguez couldn't get out of the fourth. I figured the O's would make another roster move and send Gillespie down. Now, I talked about how I thought it might be either D.L. Hall or Noah DeNoyer because I figured, although the O's did have an open 40-man roster spot, so they theoretically could have called up any pitcher, I figured it would be somebody already on the 40-man, and the guys who made the most sense were Hall, who was scheduled to pitch in Norfolk Tuesday night, and DeNoyer as well. But the one guy I actually kind of forgot about and didn't even consider as a bullpen option was Cole Irvin. And I don't really blame myself because I talked about this when the Orioles traded for Cole Irvin, and I talked about this when Irvin was really struggling with the O's early in the season. I talked about how the way he pitches and kind of the role he fills on a team, the innings eater where you know he should be going six or seven innings every time he starts, whether that's two runs, whether it's five runs, he pitches deep into the games, he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts, doesn't walk guys, so he's not really a guy who's built to be in the bullpen if he's struggling as a starter. And that's why, instead of moving him to the pen, the Orioles just sent him directly down after those three awful starts to begin the year. Remember, he went 12 and two-thirds innings. That's it in his three starts for an innings eater. 
10.66 ERA, 17 hits in 12 and two-thirds, 13 Ks to eight walks and two homers. He was a disaster. So he went down to AAA, and Irvin kind of figured it out. Now, I get it's against AAA hitters, and you still want to see him do it against big league hitters again. But in his five starts down in AAA, Irvin had a 3.19 ERA. I'll take that. Only four walks in 31 innings is really good. And specifically, his last three starts really looked like the Cole Irvin you expect to see when you trade for him. Seven innings, one run, four Ks, one walk. Seven innings, two runs, four Ks, no walks. Six innings, one run, five Ks, one walk. That's his last three starts. That's the Cole Irvin you want. And again, I get it. Triple A hitters. But that's the guy you want. So the Orioles call him up as they, again, option Logan Gillespie back to Triple A after he threw about 40 pitches on Monday night and did a nice job kind of saving the Orioles' bullpen a bit. But Brandon Hyde said that Cole Irvin will pitch in relief at least while he's here in this stint, but did say that he thinks Cole Irvin will start for the Orioles again this season. Now, it's not going to be right now. Even with Rodriguez's struggles, I think the O's are happy with the five starters they have at the moment. But Irvin is here, so it does mean, hey, you know, if a starter gets injured or something weird happens early in a game, Cole Irvin can be your long man, can come in. If you need a spot start at any time in the next couple of days, whatever could happen, he can come in. But he can also just do mop-up duty and, and maybe try to, you know, get himself back into having some success at the big league level. I really don't see the O's using him in anything close to a short stint or a high leverage stint out of the bullpen here, but he does have a chance to regain his big league confidence after at least regaining his confidence with some really good starts in AAA. But it's going to be interesting to see how long he's here in this role because the Orioles over the past couple of weeks have just been rotating guys in and out of that eighth and final bullpen spot. And most of them have been lefties. You know, it started with Keegan Aiken, then he was sent down, Drew Rahm came up. Well, Rahm never pitched. You know, they thought they needed a long man, they didn't send him down. Nick Vespi comes up over the weekend. Well, Vespi never pitches. They send Vespi down. They bring up Joey Ortiz to have an extra hitter and one less pitcher. Then they bring up Logan Gillespie on Monday. Well, he pitches, but he throws a whole bunch of pitches, so he goes down. And here comes Cole Irvin. And just like Drew Rahm, because of the kind of pitcher he is and the spot he's in in the bullpen, there's a chance that the O's don't really need a long man over the next couple of days that they don't even use Cole Irvin, and they send him back down to AAA to continue working there before they need him as a starter. But every time the O's have done this, right, I talked about it with Rahm, talked about it with Vespi, talked about it with Gillespie, and I kind of still feel this way with Irvin, is that these guys are all just placeholders in that eighth spot and final spot in the bullpen until either Michael Givens or Dylan Tate, whoever's ready first, is ready to come back to the bigs. And it seemed like they were getting closer and closer. They were pitching better. Both guys were scheduled to pitch Tuesday night on a rehab assignment in AAA, which meant they were getting closer. They had both pitched enough to be ready. And I figured, okay, this week, it'll be the time. But when Cole Irvin then came up, I'm thinking, okay, he could be here for a couple of days, but maybe they're not so happy with how the Tate and Givens rehab is going. Well, then they actually pitched Tuesday night in Norfolk. And we really got to see why they're not back in the bigs yet. And I got to say, I'm a little concerned now about both guys. And also some weird stuff happened with D.L. Hall on Tuesday night in Norfolk. I'll try to sort through it all coming up next. But first, 
This episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by Bird Dogs. Now, Bird Dogs, you're thinking, what? what is that? Well, Bird Dogs are the most comfortable shorts I have ever put on. Now, you're going to have to take my word for it, but I am wearing the Bird Dog shorts right now as I record this podcast. As I record the podcast, the Bird Dogs are on. They're stretchy fabric, right? They've got lining in the shorts as well, which is super nice, which means you can just wear one pair of shorts to a meeting, hanging out with friends, out on the golf course, wherever you may be. I was out and about throughout the day taking the dog to the vet. You just wear the pair of bird dogs and they adapt to any environment. They're cool. They feel nice on a hot day like it was on Tuesday and they look good as well. I put the bird dogs on for the first time today and I'm thinking, this might be my favorite pair of shorts that I own. So go get yourself a pair. You will not regret it. So go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnMLB. And when you enter promo code LockedOnMLB, not only will you get your bird dogs, but they'll throw in a free custom bird dogs Yeti style tumbler with every single order. I got my tumbler. You can get yours as well. Again, that is birddogs.com slash locked on MLB for the best looking and most comfortable shorts or pants that you will ever wear. So the Orioles took down the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim 7-3 on Tuesday night and got themselves a nice victory here in this series to get to 27 and 15. But the Norfolk Tides were also in action on Tuesday night, as they usually are, and Let's say they played an interesting game on Tuesday night. Now, scoreline, last time I checked that the Tides were down 7-4 to four in this game, but that really wasn't the important part here as they were taking on the Syracuse Mets at Harbor Park, the first of a six-game series on Tuesday night. The number one most important part was that D.L. Hall was getting the start for Norfolk, and Hall, who had finally looked like he was fully built up. Had gone 90-plus pitches in his last couple of outings, and he was looking like, hey, he's building him up. The O's wanted him to be a starter. It seems like, well, he is going to be a starter. And, well, I've got a uh, live reaction to the ending of the Norfolk Tides game. Would you look at that? Daz Cameron with a walk-off three-run homer as they score four in the ninth, and beat the Syracuse Mets 9-7. The Norfolk Tides are now 29-10. This is the best AAA team in the league and one of the best AAA teams ever. But that's not the important part here. The important part is D.L. Hall got the start. He was being built up, pitching into the sixth inning, 90-plus pitches. So you're thinking, all right, the O's are going to do that again. And then after this start, they might start thinking, hey, do we want him in the big league rotation? I think they really would have started to think about that. He pitched three solid innings on Tuesday night. Two hits, two runs, three Ks, a walk, no homers, 45 pitches. Five hard hit balls against him, but he got seven swings and misses. Six of them were on the changeup. He actually threw seven changeups that were swung at. Six were swung and missed. He had a great changeup on Tuesday night. And he finishes the third inning with a strikeout on a changeup, gets Gary Sanchez, uh, old Orioles opponent, to swing and miss to end the third. But the Norfolk Tides broadcaster in the third inning was saying that Dylan Tate, who was scheduled to make another rehab appearance in AAA Norfolk on Tuesday night, was already warming up in the third. And you watched D.L. Hall. I went back and watched him in that third inning. He didn't look injured at all. He got the strikeout to end the third. He walked off the mound. Everything kind of looked fine at that point for D.L. Hall. But 
he came out of the game. Now, the first reaction from everyone, including me, was panic because they've been building him up as a starter. He throws only 45 pitches, pretty good, not great, but not bad enough to be taken out of the game. You know, two runs on two hits in three innings, and he comes out of the game looking healthy. So you're thinking, you know, what happened? Did something happen in the dugout? Was it something we didn't see? Is this an injury? What is going on? That was the thought. Now, we don't know. As I record this here, just around 10 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday night, we don't know yet. Haven't heard anything yet on the official word of why Hall came out of the game. But considering the circumstances, my guess, again, this is my guess, not my reporting. My guess is that this was a scheduled three-inning outing for D.L. Hall in an attempt to just kind of limit his innings, mitigate his workload, and give him a little rest here. Because the Orioles do think, and hopefully do know, they're going to need him at the big league level in the second half of the season. So they'd rather limit his innings in AAA than in the big leagues at the end of the year, whether he ends up as a starter or a reliever for the Orioles. That's what I think was going on. And the reason why I think that, again, not hearing anything about it, just my speculation, is that Dylan Tate was the guy who replaced him in the fourth, and Dylan Tate was warming in the third. Dylan Tate is on a rehab assignment. That means... Buck Britton, AAA manager for the Orioles, the Norfolk Tides, is getting specific orders from Sigma Dell and Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde and whomever on when and how exactly to use Dylan Tate in these rehab assignments to get him ready to hopefully soon get to the big league. So if he's going to come in in the fourth inning for one of your top pitching prospects in DL Hall, that was most likely planned because if there was a plan for Tate, and the plan wasn't for Hall to go three innings, the plan was for him to go five or six, the plan most likely would have been, okay, Hall goes five or six. If he doesn't finish six, another reliever comes in. Then we'll go Dylan Tate in the seventh and Michael Givens in the eighth, no matter what. That would have been the plan. But the fact that he was warming in the fourth and came in after Hall left makes me think the plan was for Dylan Tate to pitch that fourth inning. If Hall would have gotten hurt, somebody else would have come in and Tate would have come in later when he was actually scheduled for. But when he came in in the fourth, that tells me the plan all along was let's have this be kind of a restful start for D.L. Hall. He's only going to throw three innings. We'll go with Dylan Tate in this fourth inning and we'll go with Michael Givens in the fifth. That's what I think the plan was. So that's why I'm not super worried about D.L. Hall leaving. I could be proven wrong. Maybe he felt something in that third inning, felt something in the dugout, and Tate still had enough time to warm up. But I do think with the circumstances, it was planned. I think he's healthy. They just wanted to use this as a chance to kind of step back and limit his pitches and limit his innings. So that is good news. Bad news is what happened to Dylan Tate when he came in the game. That was already seven rehab outings for Dylan Tate. He said... At the beginning of the rehab, the Orioles said, we'd like to get him in at least five to six games before he's ready. He's well over that number at this point. It was not good for Dylan Tate on Tuesday night. He recorded just one out. Four runs on six hits, no walks, no strikeouts, 27 pitches. Now, here's the positives out of the outing, right? Only two hard hit balls. That's that's a good start, right? You get seven balls in play against you, only two hard hit. That's a good start there. Three of them were just bloop fluke hits. Two were like off the end of the bat, little dribblers up the middle. I watched all 27 pitches of Tate's outing 
on Tuesday night. Two were just little dribbler singles, seeing eye singles that got up the middle. And another one was a lazy bloop that landed like on the foul line down the left field line because the left fielder was played so far over he couldn't get there. They were really fluky hits. Now there were a couple of hard hit balls. The other thing was Tate did not get help from his defense. Colton Kowser made two bad errors in the game, let a ball roll right under his glove and go to the wall, had another bad throw that got away to third that allowed runners to advance bases. So the defense wasn't really helping him out either. So that's the good news. The bad news is he still gave up six hits. And six hits is six hits in a triple-A game when you're only getting one out. There's really no way around that. The other bad news is the velocity. His sinker, although he had pretty good command of it, was only 92 to 93. That pitch is generally sitting 95 and can get up to 96, 97, 98 for Dylan Tate. That is not what he was velocity-wise on Tuesday night. So that, at least to start with, is definitely a little bit concerning. And what it tells me is he's not ready yet. He only got two total swings and misses on 13 swings by the Syracuse Mets batters. I don't know. I mean, he looked really good in his last rehab outing Friday night for Norfolk, but then it just kind of went away. I'm not super worried because the command was still mostly there, and again, he got very unlucky, but that's still a bad outing. So then Michael Givens comes in. Bases loaded, one out in the fourth. You got to get Tate out of there. He's already thrown 27 pitches, so Givens has to come in. And Givens actually strands the bases loaded. He retires all five batters he faces, so an inning, inning and two-thirds scoreless, only, I believe, 14 pitches. So you're thinking, okay, that's got to be positive for Michael Givens. Well, he was throwing 89 miles an hour on the fastball. He was 89 to 90 with that four-seam fastball. Michael Givens is not the pitcher he was, you know, five years ago, six years ago with the Orioles. He's older now. His velocity's gone a little down. But he sat 93 to 94 last season. He was 89 to 90. Now, again, this is his first AAA rehab outing. He's had a good amount in AA, but the first one in AAA. So he's still building fully up. I would say he's behind Dylan Tate on the timeline. But 89 to 90 at this point is not good. And the slider velocity was down even more. He was 85 with the slider last year. He was 79 to 80 with the slider on Tuesday night. Now, he threw strikes and he got five outs, but it was kind of tough to watch. I mean, he did not look anything like the last time we saw Michael Givens in an Orioles uniform in 2020. It really wasn't even close. So that's a little concerning. And what those things tell me, combined with the fact that the O's have used Vespi, and Rahm, and Gillespie, and Cole Irvin, and, and whomever else in that last bullpen spot as they're waiting for Tate and Givens. We kind of thought mid-May was the time. We're in mid-May. It's May 17th. What I think is going on right now is, and we saw it Tuesday night, the rehab outings and assignments for Dylan Tate and Michael Givens are not going as well as the Orioles would have wanted. And I think they're a little concerned that neither of those guys are 100% healthy. So don't be surprised if these rehab outings continue or if one or both of them goes back on the injured list for a little longer. I could even see Dylan Tate maybe being moved to the 60-day injured list and maybe Givens as well. But keep an eye on that because they could be back you know, by this weekend. They could each throw another outing on Thursday in Norfolk, look much better, and come back. But watching them, I watch every pitch of both of these outings for Givens and Tate. They are not big league ready right now. And frankly, especially for Givens with the stuff, it is not close. So talking about having them as reinforcements, first of all, they're not ready. And if this is what they're going to look like, they don't look healthy either. 
So I don't think you're getting the dominant Dylan Tate of last year or the old dominant Michael Givens of his last Orioles stint. I think the O's bullpen-wise, we just need to be content with what we have right now because we thought, you know, they were almost ready to go. They were on rehab. I no longer think that's the case at this point for Givens and Tate. So it's going to be something to monitor because even, you know, five, six, seven rehab outings in, they do not look like themselves. But either way, the O's at the big league level still trucking along, still getting good bullpen play, and still winning as they did over the Angels on Tuesday night. And they're back at it on Wednesday night, game three of a four-game set. It is the Orioles and the Angels once again at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Again, a 6.35 p.m. Eastern time start, which I personally love, those 30-minute early starts. It's going to be Kyle Bradish on the hill for the O's trying to build off a really great start this weekend against the Pirates. The Angels will go the guy who has been struggling, and that is the right-hander Griffin Canning, who will take the mound for the Angels. The 27-year-old has a 6.38 ERA in five starts this season. Last time out against Houston, three and two-thirds, five runs, five hits, three Ks, and one walk. And you can check out every pitch of the Orioles' hometown broadcast for tonight's game with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Orioles. So that'll do it for today's episode. I'll be back tomorrow recapping game three between the O's and the Angels. And hopefully we'll have a couple more updates on Givens and Tate. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.